Welcome back to Deepening Roots and Growing Branches. This is Paul Arnaberg, director of the Sepulchre Doing, and Pastor Brent Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at episode 41, and this is part two of From Digital to Analog, and that's the stereotypical kind of a schoolhouse rock nod to what computers sounded like in the 1970s and 80s. But ironically, now, we are, we're, we didn't touch on AI last episode, Brent, no. but AI, they can be as they, it can be as uh, organic as my voice is right now, which is rather scary. Yeah. Okay, we, may, we might not even touch on AI, but that was kind of a fun way to kind of throw you for a loop. What are you <laughs> listening to now? So yep. this is part two, Brent, and I know uh, as we ended part one, episode 40, you wanted to dive right into the embodiment of what is analog. Yeah, so I, one of the things we need to remember theologically uh, that we've talked about before is how important it is to recover a really rich sense of us being uh, embodied people. I think in the digital world, we're talking, you know, digital to analog in the digital lives that we live, we can almost like live day to day throughout our workday, throughout our life at home, throughout whatever, so much on screens and in yep. the digital world that we forget to even take care of our physical bodies. Oh boy. We, we, yeah. for, we could, we forget that things that exert physical effort and energy are so important and healthy, not only that I build strong bones or muscles, for example, but that it's good for my mental health to exert my physical self in something that is is embodied and an activity. So that I want to make sure is always in the background of what we're talking mm -hmm. about. Across many of these transformational outcomes, it's, it's important to remember that we're embodied souls and that God made us that way. It's beautiful. It's good. He did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. But especially with this one, when we talk analog, I think it's one of the most countercultural things, one of the most powerful tools that we can use to witness to a different realm, like the kingdom of God, is recovering a real good sense of what it means to bear God's image mm. as an embodied creature. Yes. And that is getting lost. Mm. And so we need to recover this sense of intentionally doing analog things. Yes. Things that our, our relational, physical, like that use our physical world and not, not just the digital world. Mm -hmm. So again, back to our last episode, technology, we need to have a good philosophy of technology. Technology is not bad and evil in the broadest sense. We use technology all the time, but we need to be careful to be critical and think through, especially digital technology and the potential implications of it. So today, for the second episode, I'd love to talk more about this embodiment reality. What does it mean to re-embrace some of the analog old ways, mm -hmm. you know, rather than, and, and then allow digital technology, if, you, if it's part of our lives, to put it in its proper place. So let me be, I'll, I'll start that by giving one quick little, uh, I'll call it maybe a pro tip. <laughs> this yeah. will launch us into something to, to talk about. So in last episode, we talked about having things in their proper order and proper proportion. Something that is a constant struggle that I feel is doing is having that applied to my use of um, a smartphone. You know, yes. I'm going to use it for work, access email, mm -hmm. text people, be involved in ministry in people's lives through this technology. Sarah and I, this about a year ago, we just decided, you know what, I want to actually like symbolically... Mm almost physically put this technology in its proper place. Yes. So we cleared out an entire drawer in our, you know, island in our kitchen mm -hmm. and we, that's the device drawer. It's yeah. like literally physically a place where I come home and when it's time to spend time with my family, my kids, I turn my phone on silent 
or airplane mode or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it literally goes into a drawer and I close the drawer. So I'm not even physically looking at it. Yes. And that is not only good because there's studies that show when you walk by and you see your phone across the room, there's like an anxiety producing mm. uh, reaction. Cause you wonder like, Ooh, I wonder if someone texted me. Yes. And like that is that thought actually is distracting you from being present in the moment. Yes. So I want to not, o- not only sort of symbolically put my phone in its place, <laughs> but I don't physically want to look at it yes. because I want to be totally present mm-hmm. in the moment. That is a gift to the people that I'm with. Absolutely. And that, I mean, just that alone, like that's a, that's a simple illustration. Now I struggle with that because I don't always put my phone in that drawer and I should, but that's an aspiration. It's something I'm working towards and our family tries to do is to try and have things in their proper place, in their proper proportion when it comes to especially digital technology. Yes. And lest the audience think I only do Bible quotes and movie quotes, I remember you, Brent, about, I don't know, 20 or 30 episodes ago, you mentioned that really sweet anecdote about that older gentleman who took you out to lunch after you guest preached in California, and he had tears in his eyes after your hour lunch, and he said you on the sidewalk after lunch was paid for, you're done, he said... Uh, I've never, I I don't want to put two words. Essentially, he said, you are a young person that didn't look at his phone once during this hour, and that was refreshing to his soul. Oh, he was crying, standing on the sidewalk outside in this parking lot, because I I kept my phone in my pocket on silent for Mm -hmm. 90 minutes. And you're a pastor at the time, right? Yeah. So pastors have a a myriad of attention, um, things competing for their attention. Very good things. We know to shepherd a flock is extremely taxing and necessary and a calling. But if you can't turn it off, you will burn out and you'll not be there for that man or your wife or your daughters or anybody else. Like right now, the podcast, both of our phones are on silent. If we're distracted, how can we possibly be present to speak to the tens and tens of people listening to us right now. <laughs> and the tens of people. Yeah. Well, I, and and it's interesting to to really elevate that that being present. Yes. is such an important thing. It's a, it's part of that embodied reality of us physically having like having relational time face to face. I mean, yes, we're talking to you audience through a digital media right now. Medium. That's you right there. And, Hello. Hi you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> However, you and I are in the same room yes. and we're doing this together. Uh-huh. So, you know, as we're talking, we're having a real conversation face to face. But a lot of you listening to this, hopefully most of you, you know us. Yep. There's already a relational a dynamic established. When you hear our voices, you think of Paul and you think of Brent and you think of our faces and our personalities and all the things that go into because you know our families and you know mm. our, our history and all the things that kind of go along to that. Mm. Even a technology like a podcast can still convey and carry relational depth if it's a tool that's put in its proper place and proportion. And so that's why, like, why do we use a podcast at our church? We're not aiming for this to go out into the nether, you know, world of the internet and reach people. Maybe someone will listen to it who doesn't know us. That's fine. But honestly, we were just praying before this episode these last two episodes, one of the things I prayed was, Lord, help us to always keep in mind the names, the faces of people in our church whom we are speaking to through this technology. That keeps us anchored Mm -hmm. in the in the relational dynamics of actually being in a community together. Mm-hmm. And so this technology is still in its proper proportion and its proper place. That's the approach we want to take with something as simple as this. Now you mentioned um, 
connecting with people. Here's a qu- another quick illustration, and then I, I know you've got one to share too. I was just meeting with someone for a, you know, just to catch up over coffee, and this person was going through some hard times, and it was so important in that moment that we were physically sitting at the same table, that. I mean, even just making eye contact and talking as they're going through this difficulty, Mm -hmm. we prayed together and even just the ability to reach across the table and just put my hand on this person's arm and let them know, like, not only I I can use my words and say, I'm here for you, Mm -hmm. but physically being able to be present and even reach across the table and just pat them on the arm and let them know I'm here. Mm -hmm. That is so meaningful and rich and deep. And that's what we mean by that recovering that sense of the analog, the embodiment, the reality that we need to be together. Mm -hmm. It's so critical. Absolutely. And it affects, it's, it's been all the more of a battle in the last generation because of a lot of digital technology. Yes. Yeah. It's something divine about that. Again, I I referred to last episode, I'll even drop the the chapter first Corinthians and seven about restraint. Even in a marriage, we are told by the Lord to strain from marital affections for certain seasons. Uh, and similarly, in a very, very negative sense, the Apostle Paul said, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one with her in body? And, and that's just to say, and that's the ultimate version of physical affection on the earth. But I do believe that we can extrapolate from that, touching a loved one's arm, touching a brother in the Lord, his arm to comfort him in whatever trial it is, there is something divine about that. Therefore, we must not only do that with all purity and all discretion, but we must not restrain ourselves from that liberality when it's to communicate the love of the Lord. It reminds me of John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's one of the most awesome verses in the Bible. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, became a man, and not just to become a man to have our atoning sacrifice on the cross, which is the pinnacle of all human history with the resurrection, but it's to dwell among us and then to look at the very end of the Bible, we will dwell with the Lord on the new earth. So that is something very divine and that does relate to touch because Jesus himself became a man that we could touch him, at least the apostles and the 72 and those that got to be under his ministry. And um, But while I'm on a roll here, Brent, I will go (laughs) on to my example. You mentioned sitting across the table from our dear brother with with some counseling over coffee. during one of my last um, <clears throat> experiences leading Jugheads, uh, I had a staff meeting with some student leaders. And Wendy didn't come to a lot of student leader meetings, but she did in this case. And by the way, if you're a student leader, former from Jugheads, this is not throwing anybody under the bus. It's a generational observation. And this is good for us to hear at New Life as well, because we yep. all could learn from this. She said, looking around the circle, we had maybe 15 or 20 people. Whenever somebody was speaking in this circle, in a meeting setting, and, and, and one of the people were speaking, all the adults would look at the person speaking. But then all of the youth, the teens, would look down. And that is, this was after the pandemic, and there's something that happened in those years. And actually, mm. Brent, you did correct me yesterday. You said this actually preceded the pandemic, and I'd like you to address that. Yeah. But our, our actual observation in the flesh was that the teens have not quite developed like adults, not just because of chronological age, but because of the the issue of technology since 2007 iPhone and the pandemic, Mm. what it is to have social skills in person. So what did you say, Brent? How far in your experience as a millennial yourself, (laughs) and when the pandemic hit, you and Sarah were married about 13 years, and you were uh, about the age of the mid-30s, 33 or so, Jesus' age when he died probably. (laughs) Um, what, What is your response to that regarding that phenomenon? And 
praise God, at our church, I don't see a lot of that. And I've already worked with teens yeah. and children. I, I like to see that. But it's not to say we can't all learn to even be better about being in person, present for each other. There is that. The thing you're pointing out is being observed by uh, social scientists now, okay. uh, people in educational realms, in, in all kinds of fields. There is something as simple as eye contact mm -hmm. is a skill that's being lost by mm -hmm. the next generation. Yes. Because I think that there's things unique about how uh, young people are growing up today mm. that prevent them from gaining simple skills like having a face-to-face -face conversation. And one of the ways, as we talked about the other day, Paul, is that one of the ways you develop that skill mm -hmm. is by practice. Mm -hmm. it's, yep. it's really like we talk about disciple by doing. Yep. So much of the things that we learn are by doing. It's mm -hmm. by practice. It and is. so... If you are constantly using digital technology to communicate with your friends and you're a teenager, like you're texting, you're doing a you know TikTok or a Snapchat or whatever other platforms, if you're using those um, media in order to communicate and you're never having face-to-face -face conversations, you don't actually make eye contact with anybody. Yes, in a, it, it can be intimidating when you get into that situation, especially with an adult. Yes, and so the, what you observe, I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. Young people who struggle to have even basic interactions like that mm -hmm. these days. So that, those are kind of extreme examples in some way, but it, it it illuminates how some digital technology, like overuse, can actually have harmful effects. Mm -hmm. I even see this sometimes for myself. I So I, I've, I've been doing some, um, I'm doing a doctoral program, and so I have coursework that was involved in that. When I first signed up to do this, it was fall of 2019. Oh. And I had signed up going, great, it's modular. They do one week of class three times a year. I'll drive down to my seminary in Chicago, mm -hmm. go to class for five days, come back up. And I love that in-person interaction. So do I. Well, I had a class in uh, November, I think it was. And then I had a class the first week of March, 2020. Oh, yeah. And we're all sitting in this classroom down in Chicago, the first week of March, 2020, looking at each other going, is this a COVID thing for real? Mm. You know, and then uh, two weeks later, the entire world shuts down. Yeah. Um, I didn't sign up to do a remote zoom based program yeah. and yet the entire thing and, you know, trying to be gracious. I understand some of the reasons why became now an online program. Yes. I only had two in-person classes and then from there on out, everything else was on zoom. Mm. So that's not my desire, but what I found is that the first zoom class I had, it was five days, <sighs> six hours a day. Wow. And some of you who are listening to this are on Zoom calls or on uh, Teams meetings or on your computer screens all day long for work too. So you guys, you probably know what this feels like. For me, that much Zoom literally made me feel nauseous. Uh, yes. Like I, I couldn't look at the screen anymore at a certain point. And so I had to just, you know, message my professor and say, hey, if I'm looking off to the side at the wall, it's like not because I'm not paying attention. It's because I literally can't look at the screen because it's making me feel sick. Wow. So there's something about even how that is not a natural interaction. That's right. That can, yes, be a tool used for some good purposes. And so I don't want to just say it's throw it out, but 
out of proportion or out of its proper place, or even sometimes we see those physical side effects, it can affect us in ways that we need to be thinking critically about. Yes. Let me add this little uh, transparency for you. I find, first of all, I only have to zoom like once a month at the most, and that's usually (laughs) with a friend in California or or maybe a pastor that I'm consulting with to speak at his church or something. But um, when I am on Zoom, here's a transparency for everybody. I tend to look at myself to see how am I looking? How's my reaction? And that's not necessarily inherent narcissism. I admit I'm a selfish sinner, but I will say, that when I'm face-to-face, like now with Brent, I went to the bathroom about a half hour ago. I haven't looked at myself for a half hour and we're having this long podcast in, in a rather public yeah. setting. And a Zoom, I'm much more sensitive, or should I say, I'm much more prone to be self-directed in my speech than I am in a first-person uh, first face-to-face conversation. So that's just yeah. a little quirk. And I will say that uh, I I um, feel bad for anyone that would have to do that for a living. And, and one of my favorite podcasters does say, if you possibly can get back to the office, do that, even if only a couple days a week, because there's something that's priceless about in-person interaction, not the least of which is morale and yeah. the, the, the relationship, which you can not quantify over a digital zoom call. Yep. And so if you find yourself, let's just get practical. If you find yourself in a vocational role or some other reason why you're doing a lot of digital interactions with people in your other time during the day, put that technology away Mm. and embrace turning the volume up on more analog interactions Yes, because you need balance there. If you just continue on on the phone in your free time, you're just going to be overwhelmed and it ends up becoming something that's like controlling you. So if you if you do a lot of that work from home or digital stuff, you've got to you know you got to get outside or get out to be with people. So it's critical. Um, one of the things that we wanted to bring in here is some some research that and yes. some that that I had read a number of years ago now, um, but has been so helpful in understanding the current situation we find ourselves, and then maybe getting some practical outcomes. There's a book that came out. Um, let me look at the publication date here. I, I think it's rem- 20, the article's 2015, so it's almost 10 years old. It's nine plus years old now. Yeah, the, there's a book. It was 2017 okay. when, this, when this book came still out. still seven years ago. Yep, there's a, a book. It's not written by a, a, a believer, but it's written by uh, someone who studies generations. What's mm-hmm. the differences between generation to generation in indicators of, of health or vitality or just how these generations are sort of functioning? So uh, the the book that I, I picked up a number of years ago was recommended to me is called iGen, uh, as in the i generation, kind of yes. like iPhone. Um, Small wh- I. Yeah, the subtitle is "Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood." Wow! And what that means for the rest of us. Yeah. And there's this sense of she she pulls in uh, research since the dawn of the smartphone. And says, wow, there's some serious things that have gone askew mm-hmm. in the last 10 years or so, 12 mm-hmm. years since the majority, more than 50% of Americans had a smartphone starting in 2012. Yes. So we're now 12 years into that reality. Yeah. And she, even back in 2017, when it was only five years into that reality, 
is noticing some significant issues in younger people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know you've got some of the stuff in front of you. If you want to highlight a few things that, uh, I shared this with Paul and so he took some notes and he's got some things to highlight. Well, the, it reminds me of, well, I I won't quote that particular TV show. Let's say I can't just say it without the pictures. So (laughs) I got some charts here that, uh, the the charts make it easier to relay over the, uh, uh, podcast waves here, but this is a 20 page article that Brent forwarded to me in a PDF. And here are just, I'll, I'll say some headlines of these charts of downward trends. Here are things that are negatively affected since the iPhone was released in 2007 and since what Brent more pertinently said, 50% or more of of people in America have iPhones. Uh, Not hanging out with friends precipitously dropped off after 2012. And no rush to get a driver's license, which I know I, you, I want you to address that, Brent, because you yeah. got it just before this phenomenon. Less dating, uh, more likely to feel lonely. And this is one that's really important to me, less likely to get enough sleep. In fact, I grew up in high school in the early 80s, and I ubiquitously got little sleep because I was not used to getting up at 7 in the morning or 6.30, so I got six hours sleep routinely, but I slept every day after school. It was 1991, she cites this, of only 25% of teens cited uh, too little sleep in 1991, but 24 years later in 2015, 40%. That's just 2015, and that was nine years ago. So how much sleep is being deprived now, even in the pandemic? people that would routinely stay up. In fact, I will tell you this, in my Garmin, I log my sleep every day and uh, my worst year of going to bed on time was the year of the pandemic. And so that wasn't just because of the phone. It was because there was no reason to get up. There was no in-person. That was a really bad year for everybody in many, many ways. But that alone, and I actually did some digital highlights in a lot of the other ways. In fact, let me say this. Since I mentioned sleep, and I can, I, I think everybody needs sleep, it's not only great for our immune system and our weight management, it's good for our moods, it's good for our processing. I've even heard it said when we sleep, that's when we actually do the learning. It, it, that's when we process everything we learn. She said this, um, the, the sleep statistics were an answer uh, or, or a profile in obsession. Nearly all of these young people that were studied uh, slept with their phone, putting it under their pillow, on their mattress, or at the very least, within arm reach of the bed. They checked social media right before they went to sleep and reached for their phone as soon as they woke up in the morning and they had to because they used the phone as an alarm clock. Their phone was the last thing they saw before they went to sleep and the first thing they saw when they got up. So again, we we prefaced episode 40 with saying this is not all a, a bash on technology But just like in my case, Scrabble and darts or any other obsession I could have that's analog, technology is the most ubiquitous form of obsession. And and these are some of the fallouts just in the last, uh, what did we say, 12 years since 2012. Uh, Sleep deprivation, uh, less social interaction, less, uh, and by the way, mental health. Uh, I, I read somewhere in the article, Brent, that teen homicide has gone down, but teen suicide has doubled and tripled. Yeah. It's some fascinating things here because broadly speaking, what this author, uh, Gene Twenge, is pulling in here is that uh, young people are spending less time together face to face. They're spending more time interacting via their phones. Yep. So that precipitates in a lot of interesting things. There's uh, their <laughs> their uh, quote unquote less dangerous activities 
but that's because they're not physically like going out and carousing. So do people call that a good thing? Uh, well, maybe they might be getting in less trouble technically uh, out, out, out in the world. Yeah. Uh, but is that actually better that they're just interacting through a digital media mm. versus actually going out? I, 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 side stories, I read an article just this last week mm-hmm. about how um, there, people are starting to say that it's important for kids to have what's called risky play, ah, which yes. is like go outside and climb a tree. That's right. Get dirty, get dirty, yeah. like physically, like do something that where you could technically, you could fall and break your arm Yeah. when that's people are saying, well, uh, we've tried for what a couple decades now to eliminate risk, to make things super safe, to mm. get kids away from things that could potentially harm them. What it has done is now all of a sudden the pendulum swinging the other way and saying, well, th- th- it's actually good for you physically to build strength, things like that, but also mentally, emotionally, socially, mm-hmm. relationally to have time face to face doing things outside in creation that create, um, uh, those bonds and then physically challenge you and put you in situations where you have to be able to figure out a solution. You have to be able to navigate a risky s- scenario or whatever other things. It's mm-hmm. actually so important to how we grow as human beings. Re-embracing those analog things are important for us as God's image bearers, period, yes. like period. And yeah. one respect to, uh, speaking of pragmatism earlier, one of the ways you could do it in a very, very practical sense, if you find yourself doing all of your entertainment digitally, whether it's movies, whether it's even podcasts like this, uh, or there's games, well, Bring out a board game. Uh, go on a walk. You can you can uh, play a, a a game that's physical, or like I said before, juggling is an obvious one. Anything that is actually tangible. When I play frisbee with my cat in my house, I toss my silicone frisbees to Chip. And by the way, I said this to Wendy yesterday. Animals don't get digital at all. They have nothing to do with digital. They have, don't understand it. So we're forced to be analog <laughs> when we interact with your dog Kuiper, my dog Chip, uh, or or when we had Mike Larson on, he has goats and chickens and ducks and lots of stuff. Yeah. Not lions and tigers and bears, but, you know, a lot of other things. So <laughs> that, that is a w- one way we can learn from the animal kingdom how they are digital. One solution, though, uh, again, yeah. many highlights I made in this 20-page paper I read yesterday from this uh, author, Jean, do you pronounce it Twinge? Yeah, Twinge. I think so. Um, <clears throat> she says this, if you were to give advice for a happy adolescence based on this survey, it would be straightforward. Put down the phone, turn off the laptop, and do something anything that does not involve a screen. And speaking of do, yeah. it reminds me, Brent, that as I've been working on about 50 or 60 top ideas for disciple doing here at um, New Life yeah. EFC, I don't think any of those are inherently, or should I say exclusively digital. Yeah. Now, I'm a big movie buff, as you know. So if I ever have a movie club, or let's say we do looking at biblical worldview in movies, yes, we're watching a movie, but then we discuss it. It's not just a matter of watching a movie in and of itself. I love to be redeemed, or should I say be inspired to be redeemed further by watching a movie. So yes, there are tools. And right now I love podcasts, not just doing this with Pastor Brent. I love listening to them, but that can't be an end in itself. It has to be a a way to launch me into love and good deeds to real people in the flesh. Yeah. We need to recover that sense. And I think when we, when we've, because we've talked about, and it's one of the main goals of this podcast is Mm -hmm. to help us wrap our minds around what we mean by disciple by doing. Yes. Disciple by doing, one of the core parts of it is recovering the sense of doing analog activities together. Mm -hmm. And we may incorporate some technology into that, Mm -hmm. but always in its proper place in its proper proportion. That's right. And so we don't 
we don't want to take shortcuts to relational time mm-hmm. by just saying, oh, it's okay, just use whatever technology to make that shortcut. Let's do it the harder way and get together in person mm-hmm. because those things are so valuable. It's it's irreplaceable mm-hmm. to do physical, relational time together face-to-face. So Disciple by Doing, one of the bases of that is, is, is us, um, a term that I love, is being a contrast community. Mm. It's just a helpful term to understand what it means to be a Christian today. Mm. That as a community of faith founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ, shaped around our value of the kingdom of God and being kingdom-minded, mm. is we look at the world around us and, and we don't just adopt new technologies uncritically. Mm. We want to think carefully about that. And when we need to say no, when we need to say yes, when we need to put it in its place, when we need to... Uh, uh, T- turn down the volume, if you will, on like the the ubiquity of those technologies in our life and dial back up the analog. Yes. That's a way of us being a contrast to the values of the world. Mm. Maybe the idolatry that technology can be in uh, in our lives in this world and instead put our value in uh, the way that God really designed us to, to, to be, to mm-hmm. glorify him, to flourish and mm-hmm. to, um, to live in his ways. So to be a contrast community in our day and age means that we need to restore some better balance here. Yes. We are, most of us are out of whack with this. Mm -hmm. It's not that we need to, you know, eliminate all technology. Mm That's not what we're talking about. Put it in its proper order and place and proportion. And we need to bring some better balance by deliberately as a church community, re-embracing analog, face-to-face, disciple-by-doing kinds of ways of interacting so that we can see the Lordship of Jesus really in all areas of our life and not succumb to technology taking over our lives. Amen. And let me give a nod out as a still, I'm only in my third year of uh, membership and attendance here at New Life. I love that this church reopened in summer of 2020 after only two or three months closed. And the reason I say that is not even to get into the controversy about when people open when and all that, it's to say, remember Hebrews 10, do not neglect the assembly together, but meet together and encourage each other um, and and spur one another on to love and good deeds. So the in-person, we've said this many times in these 42 episodes, 41 episodes now, but please get together, not only in your local body of believers, and of course, most of you listening are new life people here in Hastings, but small groups, growth groups, uh, movie nights, fun barbecues, uh, watching sports together, whatever you want to do. Uh, do all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. But the idea of being in person, do not neglect that. Do yeah. not forsake the assembly together because like touching that uh, brother in the Lord across the table when he was bereaved of his trial right now, uh, we need to be together for the joys and the trials yeah. and the triumphs and the heartaches. That is what makes us the church yes. and it makes us flourishing as image bearers and Christ bearers. Yes, it's good ecclesiology. Mm. Like if you, ecclesiology is the study of the church it's good under it's a good understanding of real deeply biblical model of the face-to-face interactions of a family of of faith mm-hmm. that we have to be together. Yes. We need to come together on Sunday mornings. It's like it's like the family meal. It's yes. like it's like having Sunday dinner together. You want to we want to gather physically in the same space but also life on life day by day week by week. Mm-hmm be genuinely like a family that has a web of relationships and and is embodying the reality of the gospel. So in how we interact, 
loving one another, bearing with one another in the midst of difficulty and conflict, handling those situations in different ways than the world does, displaying the values of God's kingdom, Hmm. the main way that that is done is in the embodied relationships that we have, the face-to-face time, the ways that we actually cross paths. It's not just in content delivery of concepts across some kind of medium. Hmm. That is often how some churches approach ministry. Hmm. How can we get content delivery to these people in the most efficient and easiest way possible so that they can consume it? Yes. That's just a horrible ecclesiology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And instead, we're going to do the long haul, highly relational, family-oriented, family-based, multi-generational approach that brings us together as a group. And we're going to walk week by week together through what it means to be faithful in this world. And that means, in this particular instance, being a contrast to the world's use of technology, Mm -hmm. that we don't let it... We don't serve it, it serves us as we glorify God as being his image bearers. And when it crosses the line, we won't stand for it. That's right. <laughs> right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So. And put another way, if you just take the, that phrase, disciple by doing, add another phrase, disciple by doing life together. Yeah. Disciple sure. by doing life together, and it's best done face-to-face, in person, as embodied souls and ensouled bodies mm-hmm. under the Lordship of Christ in a year such as this, 2024. This is Paul Arnberg, Director of Disciple by Doing Life Together here at New Life EFC with Pastor Brent Copeland. We're so privileged to be back with you, episode 41. Look forward to episode 42 coming up very soon. Have a blessed month and season. Mm-hmm.